this is disaster recovery as a service, but the tools have changed, the flexibility has changed, uh, the technology has advanced to allow it to be smoother, simpler, and in a lot of cases, less expensive. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. 2011, Prince William and Kate Middleton married. Charlie Sheen was winning. Harry Potter was the wizard of the box office. Adele was at the top of the charts. And in the world of technology, 2011 saw the iPhone 4S, Android version 4.0, Richard Branson opened up Spaceport, and 2011 also saw the birth of Disaster Recovery as a Service, or DRAS. Our guest today was front and center for that birth. And unlike the myth of Al Gore inventing the internet, Ben Miller really helped to create one of the first commercially viable services around leveraging replication technology to recover workloads in the cloud. He hates it when I say it, but as an engineer and product manager, the DRAS service he helped to create was in Gardner's Magic Quadrant five years running. Ben is a senior cloud solutions architect here at InterVision Systems, and we're proud to have him a part of our team. Today, we're going to talk about DRAS what's changed, and what hasn't changed. Welcome back to the show, Ben. Thank you, Jeff. What, a, what an introduction. <laughs> a blast from the past. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Kind of uh, walked down memory lane there a little bit. And who knew that you'd ever get mentioned in the same sentence with Al Gore? <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Ben, let's start with what has changed in the DR space in general and more specifically with DRAS itself. Yeah, a lot has changed. When I first got involved with developing DR solutions, it was all about building out that second data center um, or how much do we need to have of our production infrastructure to limp along mm -hmm. uh, if there's been an incident. Now that the world is very different, the demands on a business are different in terms of their uptime, the recovery times, uh, limping along during a disaster isn't necessarily uh, uh, satisfying enough anymore. Right? There's a lot of demand about being able to deliver. The disasters themselves have changed. You know, if we look back, wow, uh, that far in history and we look at the things we were worried about, we were worried about uh, power grid failure. We were worried about uh, air conditioner failure or server failure. You know, we were making sure that we had clusters in high availability mode. Those were the things we were worried about then. And now we are worried about, you know, ransomware. It's in the news. It, it really is there. We're worried about uh, corruption. We're worried about failures of automated systems, uh, sometimes even the systems that are designed to provide high availability. There is a lot that's changed in the landscape that is affecting the types of disasters that we are designing recovery for. Yeah, it's almost like uh, you pick up 
the news or to these days, okay, I'm showing my age. You don't actually pick up the news anymore. You pick up your phone and you read the news on your phone through one of your apps. But it, it's almost like you can't read any current events without something related to data, data protection, the impact on companies when they're not able to protect or recover the data. Because I think we like to talk a lot about data protection is a combination of security and recovery. And those go hand in hand, right? You just look at the news with the recent pipeline hack that went down. They ended up paying the ransom because they couldn't recover their systems quickly enough. So when you think about DRAS specifically, disaster recovery as a service, what's changed with that since the birth of DRAS, or as it was originally called, recovery as a service. If you remember RAS, that was kind of what it it became known as to start with. What's changed in that space in the 10 years? Well, I think uh, 10 years. Wow. Uh, Now you put a number on it. Um, (laughs) I think the the biggest thing, first of all, what's not changed is the birth of this. it, It was important, the as a service part of it. Uh, mm-hmm. That was the critical piece of it that uh, we really felt made a difference in the marketplace. And as you mentioned, the analysts recognized that, meaning that this is a service that you're buying. This is not a target. This is not just happens to be hosted storage somewhere. This is a full provisioned service around the development of the run books, the execution of the tests, and the execution of any kind mm-hmm. of event. Uh, you know, so that the focus on it being a service and offloading the experience, the bench depth, all that type of responsibility from the shoulders of our really lean IT teams, that mm-hmm. stayed the same. That still is the focus. Uh, I'll still preach that all day long. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's changed is, is behind the scenes. So what tools do we use to make that service? We, from the start, wanted to downplay uh, you know, what tools we were using to say, let's focus on the service. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, let's be honest, there's been some great development in the past few years. We've leveraged uh, Zerto for a long time from a tool standpoint, and we've watched that develop and mature and new releases come out. So that's great to see that that's come along. But we've added some tools to our toolkit uh, from a technology standpoint in terms of data movers, but also have been able to add uh, different targets and locations. Back in the day, uh, many, many years ago, there were a lot of times that it was like for like replication. So you were going from VMware to VMware. You were going from Hyper-V to Hyper-V. You were trying to replicate your existing environment uh, as much as possible. Now the technology is available that allows us to lift and protect uh, a VMware-based premises environment to AWS and be able to leverage the flexibility of cloud and still retain some of the RTO promises and experience that a team that doesn't necessarily have a cloud strategy uh, can leverage. And again, focusing on this is disaster recovery as a service, but the tools have changed, the flexibility has changed, uh, the technology has advanced to allow it to be smoother, 
simpler, and in a lot of cases, less expensive uh, to deliver. Yeah. Well, what hasn't changed in the world of DR and DRAS in those 10 years? You touched on this a, a little bit ago, but what are some of the other things that haven't really changed? I think the, to me, one of the biggest things is the driver for DR still remains the same. The driver for DR has to come from the top-down business, has to be defined. The business has to understand that risk before they attach a dollar sign to be able to uh, approve what's going on. To me, that's been constant since the beginning. Uh, other things that haven't changed have been that this is a slightly different conversation from our backups and a slightly different conversation from our high availability. Uh, when we get into designs, um, we've talked to customers who say that they have multiple data centers that they are doing DR between, or I should say high availability between. Uh -huh. They call it DR. Uh, but what they began to realize is that it's the same control plane. We've got fantastic tools now that allow us to manage a global infrastructure from one control plane. That's really efficient. It's also really efficient when the bad guys get a hold of that. So the idea of maintaining an air gap uh, that is less about high availability and more about disaster recovery, meaning, you know, it's not just about a glowing crater where one data center is. It's about what happens when that security issue comes up that you mentioned and being able to recover with that air gap. Uh, you know, that's one of the things that's remained consistent is that need. And backups. Uh, people send tapes to backups. Now they're, they're not using tapes as much and they're using cloud more for that. Uh, but again, people think about, well, I, I restore my backups. That's recovery. It's not really. Uh, it's restoring, you know, when somebody deleted that file or, or there was a server, that kind of thing. Recovery is truly about having a plan to run your environment in the case of a disaster. Uh, a lot of times yeah. that's going to require another place to do it, like cloud or, or another VMware hosted solution. I love the point that you made at the beginning of that answer, Ben, and there were several things in there that I want to pull out. Uh, the point you made at the beginning that what has not changed, that it's still driven by the business requirements. I find it hard to believe that we're sitting here 10 years later and we're still having this conversation about how do you have the conversation that DR is important to a business? I know you get in those conversations with our clients a lot. They are, well, we're telling executive management that this is important and they're not hearing. But then you read the other side of the, of the story and the executive management is saying, you never told us that we had this risk. So where's this disconnect and why is this disconnect still with us? That it's it's a disconnect that it's one of those things that hasn't changed, <laughs> um, and that disconnect is, you know, oftentimes IT talking to uh, management, and uh, you know, being in engineering, uh, you know, I've seen it a lot of times. Just a gap between the way people communicate and the types of things that they find are important. So it can be difficult to an engineer whose job is to keep the lights on, keep everything up, reduce the risk, mm -hmm. to be able to express those risks in terms of a business risk, which is a lot of times what uh, you know a business leader is listening for. They want to understand what that 
risk is. So that's actually something that uh, we do with our clients is uh, when we're engaged with an IT group and they're trying to communicate to uh, the business and explain what that risk is, is to help rephrase mm -hmm. those risks and concerns in terms of business language. It's less difficult these days, especially when you see something like the pipeline in the news, to phrase some of these risks right. Right. Uh, when everybody sees the same story on the news. But that's an important thing is to go through and rephrase these, uh, get buy-in that, yes, we understand that these are the risks. And then the next step is putting a value around mitigating those risks. So uh, we understand that we may be at risk for X, okay? Um, and we are willing as a business to say that in order to mitigate for that, we need to be able to recover within, uh, let's say, 12 hours. Well, that's going to be a different technical solution. And now uh, the engineer has a challenge to say, okay, how do I provide a solution to the business that meets the requirements that are now recognized by and mm -hmm. supported by and have uh, borders around them uh, from the business uh, leaders? The other thing that you mentioned a couple of minutes ago was that DR is more than just having backups. You have to have a plan. And I, I thought that was great. And I didn't want our listeners to kind of just slide by that. So I'd love for you to spend a few minutes and talk about the difference between business continuity, ITDR, and the requirement of having a plan for both. Great. Great. Uh, you know, first of all, business continuity is about the strategy for continuing business during a disaster. Uh, and that is if you consider your consumer, your end user, uh, as using your services, how does that continue to execute when you are uh, dealing with a disaster situation? And so there are a lot of things covered in business continuity than just IT. Uh, there may be logistics, there may be workplace, there may be, uh, you know, a lot of things around it. It links into IT because moving people to different places where they can do work create IT challenges. Uh, but there's more to that business continuity picture than just the IT aspects. Mm -hmm. So the ITDR aspects of it are how do we recover the services that are being provided by our IT uh, and those are, you know, those could be things from uh, simple things from email to VPN to the uh, server, the web server that's providing out the services that uh, your business provides. So now we're into the nitty gritty of the ITDR aspects of things. Uh, and so that's, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of zooming in a little bit as part of that business continuity plan, looking at the ITDR aspects of it. Now, Having a plan is critically important. I know from my personal experience in my life from an IT standpoint or in general, uh, when things start to go wrong, typically they don't just, not just one thing goes wrong, uh, uh, multiple things go wrong. Right. Um, I could tell stories, uh, but to keep it simple, you know, if you plan to deal with the situation, if you have a flat tire, I've taught my kids that now have driver's license, each of them, how to change a tire. Uh, and I have stood there and watched them, had them each change that tire. 
And the reason I did that was that, yes, they could look in the handbook uh, if they knew, you know, that it was there in the glove box. Or nowadays, yep. they could look up on YouTube how to change the exact model tire on the exact model vehicle they have right. and see a video. Right. But unless they've done it, unless they've put their hands on the tools and executed that, it's even more scary to be on the side of a road somewhere with a flat tire. Yeah. And yeah. the same thing applies to ITDR. Uh, if you don't have a plan to say, here is how we're going to handle these situations, uh, you can't practice it. And if you don't practice it, when something goes wrong, it is terrifying. And then typically something else goes wrong on top of that. And I've seen many situations where your first response to something you think has gone wrong actually can make things worse. So it's really important that you approach handling a disaster with a level head and a practiced hand. And the way to yeah. do that is to have a plan and to test it and to test it enough that everybody has familiarity with what it feels like to bring your workloads live someplace else and run them there. I think you hit on another key point there, Ben, and that's the testing of the plan. As you said, it's just a continuous deeper dive and it's one thing to have a plan, but it's quite another to have exercised that plan and test. And I think that's one of the real advantages that I've seen with DR as a service, DRAS, is the ability to have those tests and perform those tests and to have a partner who kind of holds you accountable to doing those tests. The other thing that you, that you said that I think would make all of our friends in the world of ITSM, IT service management, just grin from ear to ear, is you talked about recovering IT services. You talked for quite a while before you mentioned anything about a server or a database or an application. It's about the services that IT provides to the organization and how do you recover those. So I just wanted to highlight those points before we moved on, because I think that those are just key, key elements uh, as people are, are considering what are they doing with business continuity and disaster recovery. The other thing that I wanted to pick your brain on a little bit here is RTO, recovery time objective, the amount of time that it takes you to recover your systems. And the difference between what I'd say is a general market RTO and what InterVision calls true RTO. Could you talk about those? And then as you define those for our listeners, talk about maybe how that relates to the decision of your recovery target. Great, great setup. Um, uh, RTO started off as a simple term, uh, specifically <laughs> to talk about recovery time objective. Uh, what is the time frame in which you wish to recover that service? And unfortunately, through use and marketing, it has changed to mean different things to different people. Uh, and I, I shouldn't blame marketing because, uh, you know, there's there's uh, plenty of blame to go around on even, you know, engineers talking about an RTO, right? My RTO is mm -hmm. when I have a server up. Uh, okay, well... Going back to the ITSM, as you said, mm -hmm. does that necessarily mean the service 
is up, right? right? So the recovery time objective does need to start with what the objective of the business to have the service available. And I'm going to jump in here and say even the word service means something different to people, right? A service running on a server is different than IT providing a service like email, for example, to the business. Right. Yeah, the web service running doesn't mean that the Outlook server behind it, Exchange server behind it is running. And the yeah, service yeah. is communication, is that messaging service that the business needs. Good, good. Point. Yes, yes. Uh, so, so what has happened is that there's a spectrum of things out there when people talk about RTO from, uh, well, the hardware is ready to recover to we have the operating systems installed on things, to when the operating systems booted, to when the services are functioning on those operating systems, to when the business level service is being offered to the customer. So there's a whole mishmash, right? And so mm -hmm. to help with the vocabulary, uh, when we're talking to businesses about their services, when we talk about a true RTO, we're talking about when the service is available to the consumer to use. Uh, and, and that gets us through the confusion between, well, I thought you said the servers could be up in two hours. Well, I meant the server could be up in two hours. And now we have to have QA come in and they need to make sure that the server is working properly. The services on that server are working properly and that all of that is functioning in the way it should be uh, before it's handed over to security to make sure that the uh, uh, security systems are appropriately hedging and proxying and uh, et cetera, that before it can be released to the general public, which could take another couple hours. So again, in the same way that uh, DR conversation needs to start at a high business level to define what the business objectives are, same with what that RTO is or that true RTO. The true RTO needs to talk about service availability to the end consumer, and then we can back it in from there and understand what uh, groups of services need to be brought online when, what servers support those services, and where those need to be brought online, and the infrastructure supporting that from not only the hardware, but the core uh, security and IP-based services, etc. Uh, all works in a time Timeline. And so we talk about recovery waves where we can group different levels of services together. We talk about true RTO that is when that business service is expected to be available to consumers. And it's like the analogy of buying a car, right? When you go to pick it up, you may not be leaving the dealership right away because there's paperwork that you got to sign and <laughs> do all that. It's not until you are handed the keys and you walk out and sit in that car and drive off the lot, that's when you've recovered, when you're ready to drive away, right? Exactly. Good analogy. As you're counseling people in their architecture for their disaster recovery as a service, how do you counsel them in, do you replicate to a, a hosted cloud like at InterVision or do you replicate to an AWS or an Azure, what are the trade-offs from one to the other, specifically when it's related to something like their recovery time objective? 
Well, that's uh, another great conversation to start with a little bit more of a business level context as well. Uh, because of the evolution of that technology we talked about earlier, some of those differences are beginning to level out a little bit on mm -hmm. the playing field. So generally first, I like to talk to them about what their cloud strategy is. Uh, we've talked to customers who say, well, our cloud strategy is uh, nothing <laughs> and <laughs> we're not sure what to do. That is then the next step to get into understanding if they have a fear or concern over going to a public cloud. Um, you know, a lot of times we've heard, well, I don't know anything about, we don't uh, use a public cloud and we're concerned about failing over into that. And so we need to look at, you know, where that lies in the landscape of their strategy. Then we can get into talking about how their recovery times match up. Some of the technology allows faster recovery of the server images into uh, a cloud. And it depends on the technology that you're using, what your source is, and which cloud you go to. So we want to make sure that we're steering the right direction. For example, a Zerto to, from VMware to VMware type of move has a very, very fast uh, boot time for those VMs because they're mm -hmm. native images from one to the other. Going Zerto to a public cloud usually involves some sort of conversion. Uh, and so it's a, it can take a little bit longer, a little more complexity. But like I said, a lot of that, um, a lot of that's balancing out a bit. But those are all conversations that we get into from the objective level of yep. what they're trying to achieve. Um, there are other security components uh, or other, mm, you know, because each environment is different, there may be other customizations or, or tailoring of the solution that may influence it. Uh, a customer may say, hey, look, I need to put this AS400 right next to, you know, layer two adjacent to my servers. Well, that could be tricky in public cloud. So we may need to look at doing a, you know, a hosted VMware type of cloud. Or uh, some people may say, look, we are going to public cloud as our strategy, and we're not sure how to get started. And this may be a fantastic intro to, hey, let's bring this project up. Let's let you experience it. Our team's handling mm -hmm. the complexity of a transition from ecosystem, from your on-premises ecosystem to a cloud ecosystem. Uh, and it gives you a win in that journey to the cloud. Yeah. Well, Ben, and you know, when I was a CIO, you're very much aware of our cloud journey because you were there. You were a trusted <laughs> advisor to us with what was then Blue Lock and is now InterVision. So you had a firsthand seat. In fact, you helped drive a lot of our strategy. And, and I'd say DRAS was not our first step into the cloud. Like many, the first foray for us was email. I think a lot of organizations are that way. Uh, mm -hmm. especially with the growth of Office 365 and some of the other email platforms. But DRAS was, without a doubt, our second and most important step. In your experience, what can organizations learn from DRAS being among their first steps towards a cloud strategy or in a cloud strategy? Oh, I love that question. Um, a, a lot of times... There is uncertainty 
around the unknown, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the, the old fear of the unknown type of adage. If you're in an organization that's got a very complex application, perhaps a more uh, mature application uh, that has uh, aged over the years, there may be a lot of concern about what does this look like in the cloud? I've heard horror stories that if I just lift and shift this to the cloud, uh, it could cost me three times as much as as on-prem. And uh, I'm not even sure what I don't know or how to get started. And I've had a lot of conversations like that. And that's okay, because that's the start of uh, enlightenment, if you will, about yeah, what that yeah. next step is. I think the advantages of leveraging a DRAS approach is it's generally safe uh, in that you are not affecting or uh, moving your production workloads as your first step. Mm -hmm. You're actually putting a copy of them there. That gives you an opportunity to, without impacting production, practice your security footprint, practice what your uh, networking looks like, what booting those VMs and running them in the cloud looks like. Uh, if you're you know, moving into a, a hybrid scenario where you're leveraging some cloud native services when you fail over, it allows you to get familiar with those. And it also allows you to do it hand in hand with a trusted partner that can do the heavy lifting. You don't have to take on that yoke yourself day one. And it's kind of like walking into those zero entry pools, zero depth entry pools. You uh, start as shallow as you like and take steps as you and get as deep as you like in that pool. And, and I know with your story, uh, it eventually, uh, you ended up shifting the whole workload after yeah, a while. Yeah. You, quotes, failed over to the cloud and stayed there. Yeah, yeah. And that is a great way to do that. As a matter of fact, Gartner had a report indicating a lot of companies are taking a forklift to the cloud and then become native, if you will, approach yeah, over, time. Uh, yeah. over time. That's one of the many ways to migrate and, and begin your cloud strategy. But uh, the concept of disaster recovery into the cloud is a really, you know, win-win, smooth, easy button way to get into the cloud with your workloads and, and score a win. Yeah. Well, when we talked the other day, you mentioned that even departments that aren't IT can learn some things from that. Could you elaborate on that for our listeners? Do you remember that conversation we were having? <laughs> um, I'll, I'll do my best. I feel like I put you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. Um, yeah, I know that with a number of our customers that are starting that cloud journey, it is more of a business growth or transition um, than even a technological change in some cases. Businesses for many, many years have been running their data centers on site, securing their data mm -hmm. on site, paying for their data centers on site. Um, they have been very used to doing all of those components themselves. And so procurement offices and their contracting mechanisms and requirements uh, may have to change in order to leverage cloud. Um, security personnel may have to understand the new or different tools that are in play in a cloud strategy. You know, leadership may have to understand that they are now taking on a hybrid approach 
Uh, mm -hmm. They're adopting cloud and that there are decisions that may come with that as well. So the whole organization may feel a little stretch and growth as they take that step into the cloud, even, even from a standpoint of stepping in with DREVs. I knew I could uh, throw you a curveball and you'd hit it out of the park, Ben. I knew that, but I, I thought that was important for our listeners to understand that their businesses are, are going to learn some things along the way as well. Even something like switching from a CapEx model to more of a, an OpEx model as you go into the cloud and get into more of that pay-for-what-you're-using type scenario. So I think that's a just Indeed. important uh, understanding for people because it, it can be a great first step. You talked about it being a first step for us, and it really was because one of the things that stunned us was our production workloads ran faster in a failed over state because of the hardware that we were running on in our own data centers versus what we were running on in the cloud data center. So you may find some surprises as you're doing this. Now, Ben, you've been a guest on Status Go before. Uh, you're also, I'm sure, a listener of each and every episode. And you know we're all about action. In fact, it's kind of in our name, Status Go. What are one or two things that our listeners should do tomorrow because they listen to you and I talk DRAS today? I think the first thing our listeners can do is take a moment to think about where their DR strategy is today and who's driving it or requiring it. Uh, that's an important first step. Is this being done because IT thinks it's the right thing to do, which a, a lot of situations it is, but looking at who's driving it, looking at who is in control of it uh, is an important step. So that's, that's the first thing I would say. The second thing is to ask yourself the question of, if I had to run this tomorrow or right now, am I ready? <laughs> um, it, the disaster is never planned. Uh, it's kind of in the name. And, yep. you know, if you want to have confidence that those risks that the business has laid out in your continuity plan are covered, it's to, you know, walk away from that question with, uh, yes, I'm ready to do it. And if that's not the case, then you go into question three, which you didn't ask for, uh, which is, uh, <laughs> what do I need to do so that I am confident that it could happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What steps do I need to take? You start making that plan, right? That's right. Those are all great actions. And it's okay that you gave me three, not two, you know, we're among <laughs> friends here, Ben. That's no problem at all. Man, I got to thank you again for being on the show, Ben. I, I know that you've got a, a pretty heavy client load, and I appreciate you carving out time to talk. You and I could talk about DR forever. We've been talking about it for 10 years together. <laughs> so I really appreciate you being on the program again. Absolutely. I, I, I love the conversation, Jeff, and I love the way that you lead these uh, discussions. So thanks for having me, and uh, I very much enjoy the talk. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, go to intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information, and I'll add in a plug for some future conversations that we're going to be having around this topic. We're getting ready to record an episode regarding security and disaster recovery and some of the trends that are going on in that space. And we're going to be recording another one here in the future between a CISO, a Chief Information Security Officer, 
a CIO, Chief Information Officer, and a CFO, Chief Financial Officer. And we'll see if we can get those three talking the same language on our program. In the meantime, this is Jeff Tun for Ben Miller. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.